Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes and click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. So like Sierra said, my name is Kyler. I'm on staff here uh, with crew. Uh, yeah, Kyler, let's go. Um, and uh, my wife is Natalie, and we have a nine-month-old named Chip. He's really fun. He was at Greek prayer this morning, and he loved it. He will definitely be back, so you, uh, you definitely want to come to Greek prayer. Um, but like they said, we are finishing up our series um, tonight, and um, the series has been called uh, But God. And so we've been highlighting this phrase that we see in the Bible several times um, and just focusing in on, on uh, what this phrase is all about, the beauty and the power, the power in, this, uh, in this phrase. And we've been talking a lot about who God is and what he is like and then also um, how he's maybe different than we would anticipate or expect him to be. And then we've been talking a lot about how he intervenes and works in our lives. Um, and so this is our, our, last, our last message. So as we get started, I want to ask... Um, start this way. Um, anyone big fan of documentaries? So just documentaries? All right, sweet. Me too. Love a good documentary. Uh, come see me after. I would love uh, a, a recommendation. Uh, just add a note in my phone. I'd love to watch uh, what you like. Um, but so I'm a big fan of documentaries. Um, and my wife Natalie and I, we, a few weeks back, we started watching on Netflix um, the series Untold. And so it's, uh, it tells these really cool stories of these uh, um, various athletes in the world of sports and just their the untold stories, uh, some really interesting ones, um, some kind of kooky ones, but, uh, but a lot of really good, um, yeah, great series. And so we started watching that, and you know how Netflix goes. You start watching something, and they pick up on it. And so they start suggesting different things for you to watch, um, which is great. It helps me pick something. Um, and after we were watching this, they, Netflix suggested a documentary about Ronnie Coleman. And Ronnie Coleman was a uh, world-renowned bodybuilder. Um, so I, I will say this, and we'll move on really quick. So this caught my attention because I used to dabble in the world of bodybuilding. It used to be an interest of mine. Really weird. Listen, it was a weird time in my life. And so that's not the focus of this story. Um, I'm moving on from that. Um, but it caught my attention. And so I watched um, this documentary about Ronnie Coleman and um, this guy was huge. I mean, he was a monster, and he, uh, he won Mr. Olympia eight times in a row, which is a record. Um, he was just a massive guy, and uh, he's known as the king of bodybuilding and uh, a great leader in the world of bodybuilding, and uh, so it was, it was a crazy documentary, but as it started, there were different people on talking about um, who he was and his accomplishments and how great he was, and, um, and then the documentary turned to start uh, showing footage of Ronnie Coleman in present day, and uh, he can barely walk now. So he has suffered so many injuries from doing bodybuilding uh, to his uh, hip, knees, uh, back, that he cannot walk without crutches. Uh, just some serious injuries, tons of different surgeries, and it's just nothing's working. Um, and and in the documentary just kind of goes on to talk about kind of where he's at now in his life, um, in his condition. But I bring this up because um, here's this guy who uh, 
um, trained, gave his whole life to training um, to be the best of his sport, um, to certainly be strong, um, but more so to look strong um, on a stage in front of other people. Um, and he did this so competitively and just went nonstop uh, that he has suffered greatly because of it. Uh, these massive injuries, he can't even walk anymore uh, without the use of crutches. Um, and a lot of people on the documentary, they were talking about how inspiring this was. He just, he gave it all and he has no regrets in life. Um, but as I watched this, I thought it was pretty tragic that he worked so hard and trained so hard that now this is, this is where he's at um, in his life. So tonight, as I transition into our talk and into our passage, we're going to talk about strength. Um, we're going to talk about spiritual strength. Um, and what we're going to see in our passage, um, who wrote it, is he's a leader, uh, a great spiritual leader. Um, and we're going to hear about what he has to say about strength. And we're going to see uh, how he presented himself in front of others. And we're going to see how... Um, really what or who his source of strength uh, was. So we're going to talk about strength and weakness uh, from the biblical perspective tonight. So let me pray for us, and then we will we'll get started. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you that we get to be here, um, gathered together to open your word. Um, it is your word that has power, and it's your spirit working in this room that has power. And so we yield we say, work. Uh, we invite you. We, uh, we ask that you would um, soften our hearts to hear, open our eyes to see um, what you have for us. Um, I pray that, that this passage would be liberating for all of us um, and that we would meet you tonight. And I, God, I pray that um, you would speak in and through me. Um, but God, would you do the work um, tonight in our hearts? Do this passage in us um, in all of us, especially do it in me. Um, right now. So we love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Okay. So like Alan, uh, Alan started us um, our, uh, our first week. And a little note, Alan, he's our team leader. He's on sabbatical right now. So that's maybe why you haven't seen him in a bit. Uh, so he's in sabbatical this uh, next few months, but he will be back. Um, but anyways, that's who Alan is. He's great. We love Alan. Um, but Alan started the series in a psalm, and that's where we're going to be tonight again, and in a psalm. So the book of Psalms is in the Old Testament, and this particular psalm is written or composed by um, a man named Asaph. Now, we don't know a ton about Asaph, but what we do know is that he, during this time of God's people in the Old Testament, um, he was a musician and a worship leader for the people of God. And so um, maybe it's not a shot-for-shot shot comparison, um, but think about our worship leaders up here. Uh, this is who Asaph was. He led God's people in worship. Um, and so he's the one that composed or wrote this psalm. And what we see in this psalm, his use of our phrase, but God, is actually pretty unique to how it's been used and what we've been looking at in, on previous weeks. Um, we find that the use here is extremely personal to him. While it certainly communicates a solid truth about who God is and, and what he is like, Asaph is also commuting, communicating here that this is who God is for me. This is who God is to me, Asaph. To so the phrase, it comes from at a very specific time in his life, um, and it, it really comes from a place of great vulnerability 
and honesty. And so it's Psalm 73. You can follow in your Bible. It's going to be on the screen if you have your phone, whatever. Um, and I'm just going to read the whole thing. All 28 verses, we're just going to read it all, take it in, and then we're going to work back um, and look at some, uh, a few verses in particular. So here we go. Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts throughout the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakens, O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire, I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. Here it is. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. This is Psalm 73. All right, so what's going on in Asaph's life here? Well, he's hit a snag, hasn't he? So he's, he's been looking around, and he's seeing something that, that troubles him, confuses him, even angers him that we see. And essentially, his question that he's wrestling with is this. I'm sure you caught it. Why is it that righteous people suffer and wicked people do not? Or put another way, why do bad things happen to good people, but good things happen to bad people? But for Asaph, it's not necessarily a question of intellect. He's not just trying to reason through this question. This is coming from a place of experience. He is rocked by this. And what he's doing, he's seeking God for some kind of resolve to his question. 
And there may be people in this room that experience this, that share in this with Asaph. The problem of evil or the unfairness or um, imbalance of life may trouble you, confuse you. You may have questions about why that is. Especially maybe as it relates to your journey with God. Well, I hope that you see here when we open our Bible that you're in good company. Your questions, your doubts, your troubles, they're welcome in the life of faith. And they're certainly welcome here at Crew. But tonight, we aren't actually going to address that question. Uh, We're not going to talk about uh, what Asaph is questioning and maybe the answer he gives or is given. Um, But if you're here and you want to dig into that and and explore that, if that's a question, you're like, man, yeah, I, I I need to talk about that. Uh, you certainly can. There are resources that we have we would love to, to give you and maybe have a dialogue about that with you. And, and I know some of our staff would, would love to do that. Uh, specifically, um, I know Britt, he's one of our staff members. Uh, he loves to talk about this with people and um, from personal experience in his life. And so if you want to maybe talk about that with someone, you can. Um, but again, this isn't where our focus is tonight. Instead, our focus is going to be What else Asaph is experiencing that leads him or prompts him to the but God that he proclaims at the end. So that's what we're after. So if we look back, looking back at the psalm and working our way back through, how would you describe Asaph's disposition? What feelings? What what caught your attention about maybe how he's doing in this psalm? What do we learn about what he was feeling spiritually or deep in his soul. What we learn? So I'm going to run through some of this that we learn. Um, verse 2 says that he feels unstable in his relationship with God. He feels as if his, he were slipping and stumbling around. Verses 3 through 15 shows that he feels consumed with envy and with doubt as well as feeling stricken or struck down, maybe by others, maybe he's feeling that from God. Verse 16 says that he feels incapable of proper understanding that what he is facing is wearisome to him. Verses 21 22 say that he feels that his soul is all out of sorts, that he's embittered, and that he feels beast-like toward God which I know is not what anybody hopes for. In verse 26, just before his but God moment, he declares that his heart and that his flesh are susceptible to failure. Perhaps they already have failed in some ways. So the picture we get of Asaph here in Psalm 73 is someone who knows of and is experiencing the weight of his sin, weakness, and failure. Someone who knows of and is experiencing the weight of his own sin, weakness, and failure. He's guilty of sin, missing the mark, rebelling against God, at least in this moment. He confesses that honestly. We don't have to presume that. He says it. And in the midst of this, when he's confronted with his sin, we see he can't reason his way or think his way or feel his way out of it. 
He's exhausted all of his resources. His steps are unstable. He nearly slips, as he says. And when he's caught up in the difficulties of life and the struggle with his sin, he's tired. He's weary. He's confused. Resentment begins to set in. He's in great need here. Asaph is in great need. So J.I. Packer, he's an author, theologian, and, and clergy who actually passed away a few years ago. Um, before he died, he, he wrote a book, a little book called Weakness is the Way. Um, and I'm going to touch more on that later. There's going to be a quote later, but not now. Um, but he described in his book, he describes weakness as the feelings of inadequacy and inability. Inadequacy and inability. And he also writes that the feeling of failure, failure, is often associated with feelings of weakness. This is what I get from Asaph here in Psalm 73. So for you, have you ever felt this way? In your soul, as it relates to you and your walk with God, do you identify, have you ever identified with Asaph? Inadequate and inept. Unable and unstable. Worn out and worn down. Depressed. Dejected. Confused. Conflicted. Weak and weary. Sorrowful and sinful. Have you ever felt this way? I know I have. In fact, I'm in a season right now where it feels this way often, most of the time. So I greatly identify with Asaph here. And I daily need resolve to keep going that only God can give. So what happens to Asaph, this spiritual leader? Though he is confronted with and deeply affected by his own sin, weakness, and failure. He tells us in verse 17, it's clear, it's right here, that he goes into the sanctuary of God. He goes to be in the presence of God. He brings all of him with him. His sin, weakness, failure, everything. He brings it to God to be with God. And it's with God that he not only gets clarity and perspective on his initial questions. But with God it's where he is strengthened. And where he's made whole. We see this in verse 23. It switches, right? 1 through 22 and then it switches into 22 to the end. After being in the presence with God, he proclaims, nevertheless... Or even in the midst, even in the midst of my struggle and in my sin, even in the midst of my weakness and my wandering, God, I'm with you, and you're with me. You hold me. You hold my right hand. You will not let me go. You are the one that keeps me from slipping. You are the one that makes me secure. Verse 24, God, you're the one that guides me. 
You give me wisdom, perspective on my questions and my problems, and you lead me through them. You lead me into your glorious presence now and forevermore. Verse 25, he bursts with desire for God. Whom have I in heaven but you? You're everything to me, God. There's nothing else on earth that I want besides you. And I say that now, but I definitely struggle to live that way and to believe it always. But still, you are who I want. Verse 26, he declares honestly, my flesh is so weak, my heart will fail. It will fail me, it will fail others, and it will certainly fail you, God. But God is the strength of my heart. But God is my portion or my deepest satisfaction. That's what portion means, deepest satisfaction. God, you're, you're that for me. And then he ends in verse 28. He proclaims, it is good for me to be near God even right now. He is my refuge. He's the one I trust. He's the one I depend on. He is the one that helps me. And because of this, I will tell everyone about how good he is and about his works for me. So you see, the resolve that weak, wearisome Asaph got here from being in the presence of God was this. I don't have to be strong because God is my strength. I am not meant to be adequate or able on my own because God is the one that I am meant to rely on for everything. You see, this is the truth of our passage, Psalm 73. This is what we learn from Asaph's personal experience and resolution. God is my strength. And that is how life with God is meant to be lived. That's the Christian life. We might suspect that God wants us to be strong on our own. We might suspect that he wants us to achieve greatness and to be without need. To spiritually look like Mr. Olympias who train but also who flex and present themselves in front of others to be very strong. That's not it. In fact, we were made to be needful and to depend on God. He is meant to be our strength, period, bottom line. We're not made to run at such a high-performing pace that we reject our need for him. That will damage us. That will damage our souls. We will suffer more this way. But God, he accepts our weariness, he accepts our weakness, and he transforms it and he works in and through it for willing to come to him with it. There's nothing stronger and more powerful than honestly admitting that we're weak and that we need his help. That is the strongest we could ever be, is admitting that we're weak. 
So I mentioned earlier J.I. Packer. So in his book, Weakness is the Way, uh, the title, that title is his whole point of the book. He makes his biblical argument why for Christians, Jesus followers, weakness should be a way of life. So here's what he says. The truth is that in many respects, and certainly spiritual matters, we are all weak and inadequate. And we need to face it. Sin, which disrupts everything, has disabled us all across the board. We need to be aware of our limitations and to let this awareness work in us humility and self-distrust and a realization of our helplessness on our own. Thus, we may learn our need to depend on Christ, our Savior and Lord, at every turn of the road to practice that dependence as one of the constant habits of our heart and hereby to discover what Paul discovered before us. When I am weak, then I am strong. So he references Paul there in 2 Corinthians 12. I encourage you all to, if you, as you think more about weakness, uh, that's, that's a great passage um, to study. But this quote, what, what Packer's presenting, what he's arguing, what I really am convinced that Asaph is showing us here, it's countercultural. That's not how we operate, right? Because in the world, the strong people, they excel, they advance, they're rewarded in life. But for Christians, we must embrace our weakness and our limitations. And if we show ever to have any strength, our confession, our banner must be, God is my strength. I'm depending on him. God is my strength. So I think that's what we learn from Asaph here. But there's something else, I believe, that's a little more implicit, but extremely helpful as we try to live this out. How is it that we know all about Asaph's sin, weakness, and failure? Because he tells us about his own sin, weaknesses, and failures. He's willing to admit that this is where he's at. And imagine, in a position that he was in, I'm sure he would feel prone to want to hide this from others. Yeah, he was willing to tell the truth about himself and about God. He's willing to tell the truth about himself and about God. Because that's confession. It's telling the truth about ourselves and telling the truth about God. Honestly telling and admitting to yourself, to God, maybe to others, your sins, your weaknesses, and your failures. And then, not stopping there, and then honestly telling the truth about God, who he is, in the midst of our struggles and existing outside of our struggles. This is what Asaph did, and it was through this, going in the presence of God, being honest, being transformed. It's here that he experienced the strengthening that his soul really longed for. This is a wonderful example 
and an invitation for us into this way of life to embrace weakness and honestly tell the truth about it. So as we end our But God series and tonight, let's, let's put the pieces together. So week one, this is what we learn. We may suspect that God is angry and distant, but God is merciful and gracious. And now we are invited to know him as he is. From week two, we may suspect that God leaves us in our brokenness and in our hopelessness. In our deadness. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive. Now we are invited to have faith and to trust him. From last week, week three, we may suspect that God forgets us and leaves us in our darkness and in our chaos. But God remembers. Now we are invited to live for him. And this week... We may suspect that God rejects us in our struggle with sin and our experience of weakness, but God is our strength. And now we are invited to depend on him. And all of this is made possible through the perfect work of his son, Jesus. You see, there's a, I'm going to close with this. There's a beautiful prophecy about Jesus um, in the Old Testament found in Isaiah 42. It says, this is talking about Jesus. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break or a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So here's Jesus, our Savior. He's the delighted one. He's delighted in by God. He's the one that enacts God's restorative justice in the earth. He's meek, he's humble. He's tender, he's kind to those who are afflicted. He does not break the weak ones. And he does not snuff out the corrupted ones. That's good news. And though he is strong and able, he was willing to be cursed and to be broken for us. By dying the death that we deserve because of our sin... Now we can be made new by placing faith in him and we can be strengthened to live for God by his spirit in us. It's him who we trust in. It's him who we delight to tell others about because he's that awesome. And as we close, it is him who we worship in song. So let me pray as the band comes back up. Jesus, you are that great. We, we see you in Isaiah 42, your character, your justice, and your kindness, and how you deal with us. And we are thankful. Our life is, is one of gratitude now. 
And so, Jesus, by your spirit, do your work here. Bring us freedom tonight from feeling the need to be so strong and, and independent and adequate and able all by ourselves, but bring us to a place of, of weakness that we may depend on you and trust you. And like the Apostle Paul proclaims, then that is when we are strong. So may we boast in our weaknesses and look to you as the one that that accepts us, that loves us, that cleanses us from our sin and makes us new creations. We love you. We look to you tonight. And we're thankful for, for who you are and what you've done. Amen.